1: Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now, for your host, Dan Mater.
0: And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show! We're back, guys. It is the first show of the 2020 season. The first one, the first full podcast of the year. We are back. And... In some ways, it's bad timing. In some ways, it might not be better timing because now we are here. We are able to talk about the show. We can have some distractions. I know for myself, doing this show helps me. Hopefully, you guys listening to this show will help you. And I'm very excited to jump into this with you guys today. Our episode today is going to be the fantasy football impact from free agency so far the free agency signings, the trades that we have seen. There's been a lot of fantasy implication, fantasy-relevant moves that have been made over the past five days. And we're going to break down all of those for you guys today to kick off the 2020 MDs Fantasy Football Show season. We're so excited, and we are going to be here now once a week, every Friday about this time, roughly speaking. I'm going to try to do around 12 o'clock for you guys to have a consistency in the scheduling for you we're going to come back with a show so at the end of this show we'll announce what the show is going to be next week but you can count on us once a week every Friday up until about July and then as long as everything is still going on as planned in the world as far as football goes and when they're going to be doing training camp and starting the season on time and, and assuming assuming that we will get past this assuming that the NFL season will start on time we will be going to two episodes a week starting in July and then For a week once the season actually starts. That's going to be our schedule throughout the year, but we are going to be here once a week with you guys from now on at least until July. So that is what we're super excited about. We have a lot of content that we can get into and we're so excited, so happy to finally be here and there's a lot of new things going on with the show. If you guys haven't been following along on the video streaming side of things, we have been doing special edition episodes up all the entire off season up until this point while we while the podcast itself has been off, and we've been able to use that and kind of get that going to get these video streams up and going because that is where this podcast is headed all of the off season all of the summer podcast will also be Live video stream on Sportscaster at MDFFBellyUpUSN on there. If you check out Sportscaster.com, it'll be live on YouTube. Just check out the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Please subscribe to that as, as soon as you can. And of course, we're going to be live on facebook at mdff show so those are three places we're going to be live at streaming for while we're recording this podcast now because we're back because of the podcast we're here is google play spotify stitcher itunes pretty much anywhere you go for your podcast needs the mds fantasy football show is here and widely available to you if you guys have not noticed if you haven't been following along please do make sure you're following us on twitter for those player news update notifications as well at mdsff show and what you if you haven't been following along with us on social media, you wouldn't know that we have pretty much uh, fell under the umbrella of Belly Up Sports. We are, I am the head of Belly Up Fantasy Department. I am running that new website, bellyupfantasysports.com. sports.com. has a lot of great content on there. It's going to touch on gambling and esports and, and all that stuff, fantasy football, baseball, basketball, hockey. We were pumping out content for all four sports before sports is pretty much just shut down on us right now. And the only thing going on is the NFL offseason. But we're covering all of that for you there. And head up there. We're going to have our stats up there. My projections are no longer going to be on our my own website. It's going to be on the bellyupfantasysports.com website. So right now I have the scoring leaders from 2019 for standard half point, full point, uh, points up there. Pretty soon I'm going to have the consistency rankings up there from last season. And then we're going to utilize that for, like I said, projections and and stuff of that nature, all the statistics, all the shows, everything is going to be available on BellyUpFantasySports.com. But of course, you can always make sure you're following along on social media and everywhere else you'd go to normally listen to the show and hopefully start following along with us on the streaming side of things too. So a lot of great things have been happening this offseason. Very excited to to touch with you guys and let you guys know what we're going to be doing to amplify our entertainment value, amplify our informative value for you guys. We also, not today, but but we also do have a lot of guests lined up for a lot of these episodes. We're going to be doing more of that as well. Part of that, though, I do want to bring you guys' attention to is that we have a brand new MD Nation hotline. That's right. Instead of tweeting at me, instead of Facebook messaging me, instead of emailing me, which you can still do at MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com, and you can still Twitter and, and Facebook me. I will always respond, and I will still have our mailbag segments and stuff like that, but... As an alternative to doing that, you can call this number, 609-362-2480. That is the official MD Nation hotline. If you call that number, you can go ahead, you can go on a fantasy football rant, you can leave a comment, you can have a question, or if you just want to comment on the show, whatever the case may be, whatever fantasy football relevant thing you have going on in your life and going on in your head, you want to call that, leave a message, and we will put you on the show. This is something I want to get started. So everybody in MD Nation, please take advantage of this. You can go ahead and call it any time of day. It does not matter. Leave your message, leave your comment, leave your question, leave your rant if you so want to, uh, anything NFL or fantasy football related, and we will put you on the show. This is what I want our last segment of each episode to pretty much consist of, is people calling into the show all from all throughout the country, all throughout the world, wherever the case may be, wherever you listen to this podcast, you can call it, leave your message, and we will answer, respond, comment back to you in some type of way, but you will be on the show as part of the last segment on a kind of a sound off type segment at the end of each episode. So we're going to be doing that. So make sure you take advantage. Again, that's number six zero nine. 362 2480. Just another way I can be more accessible to you guys and helping with your fantasy leagues, whether it be Dynasty or when the fantasy season's actually here, when the football season's actually here, I can help you with your uh, fantasy football needs there as well. So we're going to be doing all of that. I'm so happy to get that off and running. Been wanting to do that for a while. But now, now that we've gotten all that off the chest, now that you guys are pretty much up to date with where we are as far as the season goes we can jump into the content of what it is we're going to be talking about today. And we have so much to talk about because NFL free agency, I mean, it went off like without a hitch, man. It went absolutely crazy bananas. Everybody and their mom was doing everything that they possibly could to pretty much give us all kinds of dudes to pretty much distract us all week long, which was great. A lot of big time moves were made. A lot of unexpected moves were made, and we might as well kick off this show with talking about the latest moves that just happened this morning, and that's Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley signing with the Atlanta Falcons. He One-year, $5 million deal. So first of all, if you don't know anything about this show, what I, us- I usually like to go in a little bit of a rant if I think a signing, especially in the offseason, uh, is dumb or I have questions about, even if it's not necessarily fantasy football related. And in this instance, I have to make a comment. First of all, great move by the Atlanta Falcons. One year, $5 million for a superstar running back. And make no mistake, this is still a superstar running back that we are talking about. And it's absolutely incredible to me that there was no other teams out there, especially with all the running back needy teams. And I'm looking at you, Tampa Bay, uh, for sure. But a bunch of teams that if you told me you can get Todd Gurley for a one year, $5 million deal right now, how how are the Atlanta Falcons the only ones to strike gold? I would have if we're talking about a one-year contract, I'm gladly giving Todd Gurley $10 million for this year if that need to be the case. If I'm looking for if I think I'm a running back away from being a true playoff contender, a true Super Bowl possible team. There's no way. There's no way the Atlanta Falcons should have been able to sign him for $5 million. That just blows my mind. It also shows me, and I, I talked about this going into the season last year, that people are blowing his knee issue way out of proportion. First of all, the people who still want to try to knock him and say, oh, well, he's not going to be the same running back. I, I hear that all the time. People are like, what does he have left? He's not the same guy. Really? How do you know? First of all, he played 15 out of 16 games last season. The only game that he missed was due to a quad injury. He didn't miss any games due to his knee injury. That's, that's number one. That, that was not an issue at all, number one. So already you didn't have to worry about him missing games because of that knee issue. Number two, he looked pretty good to me when he had the holes, when he had the capability of being able to do something with the football. Look, the biggest thing that you can see, and PFF actually just did a, a did an analysis on this and backed me up, uh, backed up my perspective at least on this, So, which seems to be in the minority of people, which is it had more to do with the crappy offensive line of the Rams as to why his production was down last season than it did did with his knee issue or him not being the same running back i mean you're talking about a guy who for all all these all the talk about him not being the same guy still had 14 total touchdowns last season I mean, come on. This guy still knows how to get in the end zone, even with nobody in front of him to be able to block. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. And if you listen to this podcast at all last year, every single week when we would talk about the Rams and we would talk about Todd Gurley, the biggest thing I kept bringing up time and time and time again was the fact that they were not utilizing him in the passing game nearly enough. I don't expect Atlanta Falcons to have that issue They got nothing to lose in this deal. And this is where the fantasy aspect comes into this, as to why this contract is so beneficial for fantasy football players. Maybe not Dynasty, although Dynasty right now, I'm holding on to Todd Gurley because he's going to have probably a really good season. He's a good fit for the Atlanta Falcons scheme. That's that's first and foremost. He's in a situation, because of this contract, that they have nothing to lose in this deal. So there's nothing to hold back the Atlanta Falcons from just using Todd Gurley and running him to the ground if they so wanted to. And from all intents and purposes, it sounds like that's what he wants to do. He wanted to go somewhere where he could be the featured guy. He wanted to go on a short-term deal because he, in his mind, is on a short-term prove-it deal to get paid again because in Todd Gurley's mind, he was very frustrated by his lack of usage with the kid gloves that Sean McVay showed him all last season. And he has a chip on his shoulder that he wants to prove that the knee issue is not an issue and that he can very much be the workhorse back that he has been most of his career and still has a lot left in the tank. He's coming out swinging. He's pretty much made that clear from the get-go that that is something that he wants to be able to prove this year, hence why he took the one-year $5 million deal with the Atlanta Falcons. So on the Falcons side of things, they have nothing to lose, so they can go ahead and utilize him this way. And then on the Todd Gurley side of things, he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. He wants the workload. He wants to prove to the world that he's completely fine and can do this for a really long time. I love this from a fantasy football perspective, especially heading into the 2020 drafts. At worst, at worst, we were looking at a guy who's an RB2. Look, he probably had one of his worst seasons he possibly could have last year comparable to the season that he had with of the last year of Jeff Fisher when that team was awful and they were just running a high school offense out there. And both times when he had a terrible season, didn't get to a thousand yards, still winds up being an R B two because this guy scores Touchdowns. He knows how to get into the end zone on a consistent basis. He knows how to do all of these things, and that's what leads us to Todd Gurley. Will be perfectly fine, perfectly fine heading to the Atlanta Falcons. He is somebody that I will be looking at in the third round, possibly if I can get him for a steal. The fourth round, if people are actually sleeping on him a little bit, but I have no problem taking him there in a redraft league type of deal. And if I'm dynasty, I'm hanging on to him because right now your your trade value for for Todd Gurley at the moment in a dynasty league. Isn't gonna be there. It's just not. So you're better off holding on to him, and you are looking down a prime prime season, I believe, out of Todd Gurley going into this year. So definitely, definitely love the signing there for the Atlanta Falcons. I love the situation that Todd Gurley finds himself in from a fantasy football perspective, and we'll see what it materializes into. But very excited about that particular move. Now, moving on to the next thing that we gotta talk about, which is probably the biggest signing since Peyton Manning. I'm not probably. It definitely is. I mean, t- Tom Brady to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, first we got to comment on this because look, I never in a million years thought Tom Brady would go to Tampa Bay. I, with all the stuff coming out in the off season, it started looking more and more and more like it was going to be possible that he was going to wind up actually uh, moving on that. That was something that looked like it was going to wind up being the case. However, I didn't think it would wind up being Tampa Bay. I mean, he has his production studios going on in New York. He has, you know, all of these other stuff. He's got Giselle. Maybe he'd go to L.A. and go and just set himself up after his career. But apparently, he wanted weapons. That's basically what this comes down to, right? He wanted weapons. He wanted to get paid thirty million dollars, and Tampa Bay was able to offer him the best of both of those worlds. So, I mean, look. From a fantasy football perspective, it's a it's a great fit. I have some, I made some notes here because I just wanted to kind of run it through real quick. So the notion that Tom Brady doesn't fit Bruce Arians' scheme. Look at Carson Palmer in all those years in Arizona. Is Tom Brady as far as his arm capabilities go, is Tom Brady really any different than Carson Palmer, Arizona Cardinal post knee surgery is? I don't think so. I don't think there's any difference between the arm strength of those two quarterbacks and Bruce Arians was still able to get, was still able to get those chunk plays. His offense is built on the play action and taking shots 15 to 20 yards down the field on a consistent basis. Yes, there's some bombs involved and maybe there won't be as many bombs as there was last season with James Winston. I think that's something that we can all definitely agree upon. That it's going to be a more likely thing to happen here, but he's definitely going to be able to rip it 15, 20 yards, 25 yards on a consistent basis. And if you get Tom Brady one-on-ones throughout the entire field, which is what's going to take place, that's going to happen because with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and OJ Howard, who, by the way, we're going to talk about in a little bit minutes too, because this affects him in a great deal. uh, Yeah. It opens everything up. He knows how to hit those big guys. He throws 50, 50 balls. He throws accurate balls. He's going to be able to hit these guys in stride. They're going to be just fine. And, I looked, I looked back at the numbers, and because I kind of wanted to see this. Going last season, where a lot of people looked at, oh, well, Brady looked like he might have been done, and the Patriots were a little bit more run-heavy than they normally would be as a result of that. Yeah, I actually looked at it. Tom Brady only threw the ball 13 less times than Jameis Winston, and threw the ball 613 times total. Jameis Winston threw the ball 626 times last year. Now, Jameis did miss a game. Yes, but still, if you're a quarterback, you're still throwing it over 600 times I'm not really worried about his arm suddenly falling off. That's not my concern when it comes to Tom Brady. So if that's not going to be the case, and you have a guy who's way more accurate, going to take care of the ball more as a result, having more efficient offense, I don't from a fantasy perspective here, we're talking about a guy who very easily could be in the top five quarterback range. Looking at the numbers, just splitting the difference between where Tom Brady was and Jameis Winston, because Tom Brady threw about a little over 4,000 yards, and Jameis Winston threw a little over 5,000 yards last year. So just split the difference, 4,500. Take away some of the extra bombs that maybe Tom Brady's not going to have necessarily. So just split the difference, 4,500 yards and Bruce Arian's system with those weapons and Tom Brady. I think that's very, very reasonable. And you add in Tom Brady's 24 touchdowns. James Wilson's 33. Again, just we're doing a simple projection here. This isn't, I don't, this, you know, there's not as many variables as I normally would put into when doing these projections and stuff like that. But just a simplified projection, just to kind of get an idea here. Let's say he has 29 touchdowns with nine interceptions. At the end of the day, Tom Brady would come away with 338 points, which made him the third best fantasy football quarterback last year. And I think that's a very reasonable expectation 4,500 yards 29 touchdowns nine interceptions I think we're I think we're feeling a little bit on the safe side here with that with the weapons that he has because let's lead into what I said we're going to talk about earlier OJ Howard OJ Howard wasn't utilized last season at all what does Tom Brady love to do he loves to throw the ball to big targets over the middle of the field on a consistent basis do you not think he's not going to do that with OJ Howard absolutely still Cameron Bray who's a touchdown machine with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Tom Brady hasn't had these kind of weapons since 2007. Now, this isn't the 2007 Tom Brady either, that's for sure. But this isn't a guy who can't sling it down the field. This isn't a guy who can't keep ripping those 15 to 25 yards throw consistently. He definitely can. He showed that last season. By throwing the ball 613 times, this wasn't an issue. Now, is there some things that's, that the Buccaneers need to work on? Yes, they need to solidify their tackles, especially in that offensive line. Because we saw last year what happens when you have an offensive line that can't protect Brady well. He's going to get pings. I mean, And that's always been his part of his career because he's not that mobile. But right now, he's going to get, get banged up if they don't address that offensive line in some kind of way. The other thing they need to do is address the running back position. I don't really care if you're a Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber fan. The facts are the facts. They both suck. And even if you want to try to hold on to Ronald Jones because he's still young and maybe has some talent, you still need to at least get a compliment passing back, uh, receiving back, I should say, and to at least compliment off of Ronald Jones because they tried to do that. They tried to have Ronald Jones at the end of the season be that receiving back, and his usage was inconsistent because... His play, he is an inconsistent player. He's a guy who can break off big plays, but then he also fumbles the football, makes boneheaded runs, doesn't have great vision. That's why I think they just need to move on from Ronald Jones altogether. But at the very least, they have to get a third down safety blanket type of running back to solidify that Tom Brady will be able to go anywhere on the field that he absolutely wants to. Plus, it would be nice if their play action would work a little bit better. In order for that to work a little bit better, I think they need a better running back. We'll see what happens. Guys like Melvin Gordon are still out there. And Tom Brady right now is kind of like the LeBron James of things at the moment, where players just kind of want to... They want to sign up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're inquiring to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers about, you know, can you maybe sign me at a reasonable dollar here and I can go play? Because players want to actually win a Super Bowl. And now with Tom Brady not in New England... And, you know, Bruce Arians being a players type of coach, the atmosphere being a little bit different than playing for Bill Belichick. I think players actually really want to play for Tom Brady and are asking to do so. I'll just throw a little quick side note into. If Antonio Brown does wind up joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the world is going to have to look out because all bets are off. Tom Brady will be right there with Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes as far as fantasy football quarterbacks go, as far as I'm concerned because there's just nothing they're not going to be able to do. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I do not think that Antonio Brown is going to wind up signing, uh, signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers cause in order for him to do so, he's going to have to take like a one-year Four million dollar deal, five million dollar deal at the most. I don't know if that's really going to happen or not. Maybe it does. Maybe Brown just looks as an opportunity to get his way back into the league. So maybe he doesn't care about the dollar amount. We'll see. But I think it's more unlikely than likely to happen. But I I just want to point that out there. If that if that winds up if that rumor winds up being true and Antonio Brown does go there, it's going to be all hands on deck for the rest of the NFL. It's going to be absolutely insane. So. Point is Tom Brady's definitely somebody who's going to be in my top five when, was I, when, I, when I rank wait. these quarterbacks later on, uh, for sure. Now, the next one, the really the one that kicked off the entire free agency was a trade. And that was DeAndre Hopkins and and the, the David Johnson trade. Absolutely. Now, this focus on this trade, there's been so much already made of Bill O'Brien, Houston Texans. And this is usually something that I would go off on a full rant about because Bill O'Brien All I can say, all I'm going to say is this, because there's already been so much made out of this and people have already made fun of him and kind of killed him for this. All I'm going to say is this, thank you for making this move. Thank you for making this move. Because now I have absolutely no fear that you're going to be fired at the end of of, of next season. And personally, I think Bill O'Brien is a big reason why Deshaun Watson is limited or was limited in his growth from year two to year three. I think he keeps calling a retarded offense. He doesn't help out this quarterback. He, there's, no, there's, no, there's no flow to his game calling whatsoever. None. He has tremendous athletes, and he's able to get away with it sometimes, and they're able to just go for the jugular, beat up on, on teams that aren't very good. And they played well in the playoffs last season, but he doesn't do anything to help keep his team in rhythm, help keep his team in flow, doesn't do anything to help them get out of a funk. Look at the, look at the play last year. It was pretty much, hey, receivers, run deep. DeAndre Hopkins, you set up for a back shoulder feed, and Deshaun Watson, if nothing's there, run around and please make a play. It wasn't play calling. It wasn't schematics. It was just just superior athletes that they had. Now you take that away with DeAndre Hopkins. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think Tom Brady's going to be top five because I think we're going to see Deshaun Watson possibly drop out of top five. Now the one thing about him is his rushing ability will keep him in it. He's going, you know, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback. He's probably going to be a top six quarterback because he's going to, he's going to run around enough that he's going to always give you that safety blanket as far as fantasy football purposes go. But without DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was inconsistent last year as it was, right? He was inconsistent as, as he was last year. So, you take away his best weapon on top of it, I don't know what you're going to expect him to be able to do. So that's one of the things you kind of have to look at. This this negatively affects Deshaun Watson in a big way. In a big way next season. Who's his top receivers going to be? Will Fuller? Kiki Kute? Newly signed Randall Cobb for what purpose? Who the hell knows? Are you kidding me right now? Look, even if they wind up drafting somebody, which I think they have to do now at this point, and... They do. They are lucky in the sense of this is probably one of the best wide receiver drive class we, we've ever had from top to bottom. You're still going to come away with a rookie receiver being your most dependable option all season long because, what, Will Fuller's going to last, what, six games? Keith is going to last, what, six games? Randall Cobb has what left in the tank? I mean, I feel really bad for Jason Watson. But if this, is what it is, if this is what it takes to fire Bill O'Brien, I like that more. If you want to talk about Dynasty perspective, I like Bill O'Brien getting fired at the end of the season for Deshaun Watson's value for the long term more than I would uh, for the short term here if Bill O'Brien got to hang around and keep Ja Hopkins. So my sentiment is pretty much thank you, Bill O'Brien, for making this move because you will be uh, coaching from either somewhere else or hopefully for the rest of our sakes, be out of the NFL in general because I don't think this guy is a very good NFL head coach uh, whatsoever, and I think they're going to let him hang himself with the 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 room that they the rope that they gave him to be the GM on top of everything else this season. Uh, as far as DeAndre Hopkins going to the Cardinals. Now, on that aspect of things, obviously that, you know, it boosts everything. As far as DeAndre Hopkins himself goes, I don't really see his numbers being too awfully different. He actually had a little bit of a down season last year because the Houston Texans, from a production standpoint, had a little bit of a down offense in general. Again, thank you, Bill O'Brien. But he had, you know, he had 1,100. 60 I'm sorry, 1,165 yards. He had seven touchdowns. I don't see why it's too much different 104 catches than it would be with Kyler Murray and Arizona Cardinals. You're again, you're going to a pass first offense Is a young scrambling type of quarterback. Um, I mean, I think Deshaun Watson, it's not an improvement the quarterback position. I definitely think Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. And that's not just, you know, now that I mean that for the future as well. Although Deshaun Watson, I think, will always be a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. But it's not drastically different enough to make me feel like this is going to be an issue for DeAndre Hopkins in any kind of in any kind of way. Maybe he gets a little bit more volume because maybe now with this move with DeAndre Hopkins coming in and you have Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk coming back uh healthy and then you have guys like Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella who will be going in their second year. Maybe one of those guys steps up the air raid system that Cliff Kingsbury really does want to run. He might actually have the wide receivers to be able to do it this year. Unlike last year, which is why you saw them kind of shift things uh, going to Kenny and Drake, going to the running game, going to more two tight end sets it's not really what he wants to do. Uh, I do think he's going to keep an implement of that because it was successful down the stretch. They were able to get their offense back going again down the stretch because they did that. So I don't think he's going to do away with that. And we're going to talk about that later with Kenny and Drake resigning. But I do believe with, Uh, with this move that he's going to be able to go back to his let's go four Y type of offense again. Now, the one issue I will say for that is the Arizona Cardinals did not put themselves in a good position as far as the offensive line to be able to do that. I mean, why they re-signed DJ Humphreys about a month ago, I have absolutely, positively no idea. Three years, $42 million extension for DJ Humphreys, a guy who has not stayed healthy. I don't know when's the last time he's even played 16 games. I cannot tell you, I don't know if he has played 16 games at any point in his career, and you re-sign this guy, the biggest problem the Cardinals have is the fact that their offensive line, while should be a decent offensive line on paper every single year, every single year gets hurt before he even play week one, and DJ Humphreys is one of the biggest culprits of that issue, so you bring him back on a three-year $42 million extension, it makes absolutely positively no sense, none. Zero. So that's still going to be an issue for the Arizona Cardinals. That's why going into the the NFL draft, while there's not a lot of offensive linemen available, that needs to be their focus because they made some good signings on defense. They made these good moves on offense. They're fine at the weapons. They need to make sure that they are getting offensive line help. Otherwise, Kyler Murray is still going to be running for his life and that's going to affect DeAndre Hopkins and all of those guys. But As far as Hopkins goes, him being a top 10 wide receiver, lock it in. You don't have to worry about that too much. Now, where he falls as far as the top five goes, the top three goes, I do think you're going to have to have him probably number five at the highest. You know, I don't have the projections done yet. We're not quite there. We're still waiting for players to sign with different places, and then I'm going to go through and start working on the projections and have them for you sometime in June, July, perhaps by then. But uh, just kind of thinking about the top of my head, he's not going to be up there with Michael Thomas. He's not going to be up there with Julio Jones. and it's going to be a little bit of an argument to be made, kind of where he finished this past season. He finished about sixth, seventh this season, depending on what scoring format you're you're going on. And I think five would probably be about where you would rank him. So you're talking about a guy second round at the latest, early third round in your redraft leagues if you're ten 10, 12 team leagues, assuming. So it's still we're going to be looking at DeAndre Hopkins. I think value wise, this doesn't I don't think boost It doesn't give him a higher ceiling than he necessarily had a year ago going to the Arizona Cardinals, but does open up other things. Uh, as far as Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk go, oh, they're gonna they're gonna lose some volume here. You're talking about wide receivers that I wouldn't be taking until you know the ninth round, tenth round, eleventh, somewhere in that kind of range. And once we get all the projections out, I'll have a better idea of where I kind of value those guys at, given the move with DeAndre Hopkins. But as far as an NFL standpoint goes, it will open things up quite a bit. The the person that this actually benefits the most is Kyler Murray, and I think that's pretty much common sense. It should go without saying. In Kyler Murray's case here. He is able to run around like a banshee. He is able to, uh, he's going to have one-on-ones a lot of times because with with Fitzgerald, the safety blanket, the option route kind of guy that he is with uh, the ability for, Uh, Christian Kirk to kind of go down the field now. Everything kind of falls into place now. You have DeAndre Hopkins, so he's going to be able to make better reads or he's going to at least be able to see guys open more because he's going to have weapons, he's going to have certain set roles that everyone's going to be good and excel at. Uh, for that purpose. So that's where you kind of look forward to with Kyler Murray. He's definitely the guy who benefits the most from I know that he's already talked about as a the next Lamar Jackson type. He's not going to run around like Lamar Jackson. I hope people understand that he's not going to go for a 1000 yards a the offense isn't built quite that way. And B that's not really his game. Yes, he's a mobile quarterback. Yes, he's going to run around but he does try to throw the ball first before he runs. So it's not going to be quite his game, 500, 600, maybe 700 yards rushing tops, I think is what you're looking at with Kyler Murray. The biggest boost is going to be this should help them out a lot in the red zone, so you might be able to see more than 20 passing touchdowns, and it's going to help also help them out with the yards because I think the Cardinals are going to be able to be more of a wide-open passing high-tempo team that they wanted to be in the beginning of the season but couldn't be because they had the lack of weapons, lack of offensive line, and may have a chance now to do that throughout the year as we move forward. So the biggest guy who gets the biggest boost is Kyler Murray to me. He is going to be somebody who fantasy football purposes, he's definitely going to be a top 10 quarterback, possibly top 7, and you're talking about a guy that because he didn't light you up last year fantasy football-wise, it will be kind of interesting to see exactly where his ADP winds up at. So he... Right now, he would be the prime candidate as a sleeper type quarterback, but it also wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about a guy whose ADP has in the 6th, 7th round because everyone is excited about the same player from a sleeper standpoint. (laughs) Sometimes you can run into an issue with that when everybody's on the same guy and they wind up boosting themselves into a certain echelon, a certain value system that isn't really there in the first place and now puts himself in a position where he's actually not as valuable as he's made out to be. Now, now that we're doing with the Arizona Cardinals and breaking down what this does for them, let's switch over to the Houston Texans. Let's switch over to David Johnson. And what does this do for him? Now, with David Johnson himself, I think this is a great opportunity for him. What he has left has to be the number one question, in, in, in my opinion. And the whole reason for that is, I don't know what he has left. Look, at the end of last season, for all intents and purposes, he was healthy. He was off the back issue, he was practicing in full, he wasn't limited at practice time and he just lost his job the Kenyon Drake flat out. That was how it went down at the end of the season last year. So I don't know what he has left in the tank and you know, I always make this joke because, you know, I think Kobe Kobe Bryant extended his years his playing career by at least 5 or 6 years because he was flying over to Germany after the Achilles injury and whatever he was doing over there was giving him some some magic. Uh, And and I was like, I always made the joke that unless David Johnson goes to Germany and does the same thing Kobe Bryant did, I don't know if he still has an NFL career or what he has left because he just looked like a shell of himself towards the end of last season. And I don't think anybody can really argue with that at at all. So I that's the thing for me. I don't know what this guy has left. I will say from a fantasy perspective, from his perspective, this was probably the best situation that he could really find himself in because he's going to get the opportunity to be the guy because. He has to be. Bill O'Brien has to make him the guy. He could be he's supposed to be now the big chip in the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, because draft picks-wise was an absolute joke. Draft picks-wise, he got absolutely nothing really for DeAndre Hopkins. The only thing that he got that you could try to make the argument for that he got value in return was David Johnson. So by default, he's going to have to make him the feature back, at least in the beginning of the season, to see if he can be it. So from that standpoint, he's going to have usage be available to him. But we're going to have to see through when training camp starts, through preseason. You probably won't play that. But training camp starts and, and beginning of the season, we're going to have to see exactly what David Johnson has left. So right now, to me, he's a guy that you're taking a little bit of a flyer on. I'm not drafting before probably the eighth round. You're looking at this as high-end scenario. He's able to stay healthy the majority of the season and has a high-volume usage. And just based on that, maybe he's able to break into the low-end RB2, high-end flex territory but that's to me that's best case scenario, and that's assuming he can stay healthy for most of the season, and that's assuming that he just gets enough volume. Because, like I said, I don't have any expectations on David Johnson to actually be able to produce anything close to what he was or be the player that he was. I don't. I love David Johnson. I did. I was a, I was the biggest fan of David Johnson uh, when he was hitting and when he was hitting everything when he came out after his rookie season and when he was primed and ready to go. Love watching this guy play, but he just looked like a shell of himself, and he wasn't injured at the end of the last season. I think people are forgetting that They're like oh we had the back issue. Yes, he had all those issues last season. He did. He was banged up, but at the end of the season, it was Kenyon Drake who took his job away. It wasn't injury that kept David Johnson off the field. And that system, the way they were running it, everyone's like, "Oh, it's a great fit for Kenyon Drake." It should have been a great fit for David Johnson if he was David Johnson. So that's where I that's where I don't know what to expect out of him. That's where I'm going to I'm going to be. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to play overly cautious with him. Because I don't know what you can get out of him. And from a dynasty standpoint, maybe you hold on. To, I don't know what kind of trade value you're going to be able to get for him at this point from anybody. But I would see if you can get a draft pick for him, I would trade him away. But at this point, he might be more worth holding on to to see if maybe he can recapture some old former version of himself heading into this season. And... If you look at it from the Houston Texans' standpoint, now that their leading receivers are Will Fuller, Kikute, who don't play 16-game seasons, and then after that it's going to be Randall Cobb, we'll still see if they wind up making a move or not here or there. But as of now, that's the way it stands today. They're probably going to have to be more of a read option, use Deshaun Watson, use David Johnson, use the running game more so than anything else as part of their offense heading into next season because without DeAndre Hopkins, they can't be... Overly majority heavily leaning on the pass 24 7 because you're not going to have those weapons available to you all the time because they don't stay healthy and you don't have a number one wide receiver anymore. And it's not like their tight ends are, you know, are the superstar tight ends where you can build the offense, the passing offense around them. So it's going to have to be Deshaun Watson using his legs, David Johnson using his legs. I'll say that's the one thing David Johnson does have going for him. He still has a mobile quarterback next to him, which always tends to help running backs, but. It's going to be a big question as to what he has left, what he's going to be able to do. But the volume on paper, if he's able to stay healthy, should be there because that's the way the offense should be leaning as we move forward. Before we go ahead and get into our next group of players that we're going to be talking about in today's podcast, and we're going to be pick up the pace here a little bit after we get into the next few, I do want to talk to you guys about my bookie. Now, I know there's not any real sports going on at this exact moment, but my bookie you can bet on almost anything, including the Democratic nomination, the presidential election, and even the name of the next pope. Join now and start winning big today. Visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code BELLYUP for a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BELLYUP. Uh, So make sure you go ahead and go check that out. So next up on the flip side of all of this is Kenyon Drake, right? Kenyon Drake re-signs the Arizona Cardinals. David Johnson is gone, so all of a sudden all the concern. We all expected Kenyon Drake to come back to Arizona Cardinals because he just had too good of a run at the end of the season to think that they were going to let him go, but. There was that notion that maybe they can't get out of the David Johnson contract. And if they can't do that, and he is around, they may have some difficulty uh, not utilizing a guy they're paying $10 million to, as you would imagine. So with Kenyon Drake here, in there, it's definitely just going to be him and Chase Edmonds as far as the situation goes for the Arizona Cardinals. And I'm fine with that. Chase Edmonds is going to spell him. Kenyon Drake is finally, finally going to get the opportunity to be a featured running back from week one. He's not going to be the Dolphins that want to tank and don't want to use him properly when they had Adam Gase. He's going to finally be in a situation that he had big-time play, a coach who does love him because he saved his ass at the end of the season because otherwise Arizona Cardinals were ready to head off a cliff. Cliff Kingsbury was ready to jump off his name, his cliff right there if they didn't get Kenyon Drake going and get kind of some kind of efficient offense moving at the end of the season that's what he brought to the table that's why he's so important for this team and I lo- I'm a big fan of Kenyon Drake I think he has a great talent skill set that there's never has been had the opportunity to be utilized before and as a result he's finally going to get that chance this season so I'm very very happy for him from that standpoint I think the question comes down to how much do you want to value him? So I made a couple of quick notes on Kenyon Drake himself to see exactly, you know, what would he have done if he was on the Arizona Cardinals for sixteen games and being utilized in the similar way that he was being utilized at the end of the last season? And over a sixteen game pace, and he played eight games for the Arizona Cardinals, in case you don't remember, over a sixteen game pace, this is a guy who would have ran for 1,286 yards, 16 touchdowns, would have 56 receptions, and 342 receiving yards. That's what you're looking at. And if you calculate that all up from a half-point PPR scoring format, it would have been 287 points, which would have placed him as the third running back overall for fantasy football, one point behind Aaron Jones, who is number two. Now, there's a big gap, obviously, between Christian McCaffrey and, and the rest of the crowd, but Kenny and Drake would have been the third best running back overall. Now, there's some things to take in consideration. I do I'm not gonna that doesn't mean that I'm projecting Kenny and Drake to finish in the top five of running backs next season. He's not going to be a top five pick for me at all. Will he be a guy that we talk about in the second round? Possibly, but there's a lot of there's a lot of issues here where Kenny and we had to break down. First of all, with the trade DeAndre Hopkins, like I talked about, Cliff Kingsbury might be able to move more towards a situation where he can use his four receiver sets, where he can get back to being more of a pass first, which is really what he wants to be, and therefore they may not run the football as much that as they did towards the end of last season when they had to lean on Kenyon Drake essentially to be their main focal point of their offense. DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray is going to be the main focal point of their offense. So there's some volume that Drake got at the end of the season that I don't expect necessarily, at least at first, unless it doesn't work because the offensive line, to be there. So take away some of the volume as far as the pace goes on that. So take your dad down a little bit. Again, offensive line is terrible. Now they found a way with the two tight end sets. If they have to, maybe they go back to that. Uh, but with Kenyon trick concern, we're still talking about a guy who, at worst, when you look at the fit, when you look at the situation, he finds himself finally in, and his actual skill set, I would be surprised if he didn't give you somewhere around low-end RB1, top-end RB2 type value. I'd be a little bit surprised, given health, expecting him to be healthy, which he doesn't have really an injury history, let's say, but he also doesn't have a history of being the guy for an entire season. Because every time he's been in a situation where it looked like he was going to be the guy for the entire season, it never really panned out that way while he was in Miami. So you're talking about a guy who hasn't been in that situation, hasn't actually done it for an entire year yet. Will he be able to hold up under that? That is a question mark. It's one of the big reasons why going into last season, I was big on Damian Williams being a bust for where his ADP is. Now with him, I felt like there was more... Uh, evidence to point towards the fact that I didn't expect him to last 16 games as a lead back, and I also have a lot of issues with him as a actual running back. I don't have issues with him as a receiving guy, but I have a lot of issues with him as an actual running back. I don't have those issues with Kenyon Drake. This guy is a truly talented star running back as long as he's able to stay healthy and get that kind of volume. But that is a question mark we have to ask ourselves. So there is some risk I believe that comes with Kenyon Drake uh, as far as this goes. So it's not that dream situation. So my big concern would be making sure you don't overvalue Kenyon Drake. Make sure you don't overdraft him. Don't take him over proven superstars that you know are in situations that you can that you know exactly what's going to happen and has happened and has a proven track record of happening. I wouldn't take him over those guys. Um but when we're talking about we're talking we're going to be talking about him in the range of the Joe Mixons of the world, I believe. And people of that sort, we'll see where Melvin Gordon winds up. But Todd Gurley in Atlanta, we're going to be talking about him in that range. And that's where I do think he belongs. And I think to me, I'm going to have Todd Gurley and Joe Mixon ranked just ahead of him, but just ahead of him. So we're talking about a guy, I'm going to be perfectly fine. If you're in the late second round, early third, that's going to be a great value spot, I believe, for Kenyon Drake, because his potential, his potential is top five. Because of his skill set, the way that offense runs, the up-tempo that we expected to be, what he was able to produce and show us last year, he is a guy who has top-five type potential, but there's enough risk where I want to make sure you do not overdraft him next season. That's going to be the big concern. There's a lot of variable factors that you kind of have to take in consideration where their offense isn't going to necessarily look the same now they have DeAndre Hopkins, and it's still a bad offensive line, and we haven't seen Kenyon Drake actually go a full 16-game season as the workhorse back. So just kind of keep that in mind. Again, once we have projections and, and values and rankings, we'll have a better idea of where I'll have him at. And make sure you check out BellyUpFantasySports.com for when that comes out because that's all all the stats. Everything we have is going to be up on that website but that's where we kind of feel with Kenny Drake. Very, very excited about his prospects, what he's going to be able to bring to the table. My hope is that because he has a little bit of an unproven track record, his ADP might be, you know, fourth round, late third round. And he would be an absolute steal in that range. That would be my hope. But again, like Kyler Murray and the Arizona offense, I guess in general, is going to be like this. Like Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake is going to be the sleeper guy, the guy that everyone's super excited about. Therefore his ADP might get jacked up to an area where it'll be a little bit questionable if you actually want to draft him or not. Now the next big, big move that we have to talk about is, is Stefan Diggs and his trade to the Buffalo bills. And I, Am not a fan of this at all, unfortunately. For Stephon Diggs, that is. Uh, for the Buffalo Bills, great move. I-, I think you needed to get another weapon. Now you have a true number one wide receiver, and you have a nice little receiving core there with John Brown and Cole Beasley. From a schematic standpoint, though, I'm not a big fan. You already have John Brown. John Brown, Stephon, While Stephon Diggs is definitely a better wide receiver, they are similar type wide receivers. Or they're kind of six foot, 5'11". They can work inside, outside. They like to be burners. Like they take a the top off the team. And they're also very good route runners, um, too. Now, you can say, well, you can't have too many of that. And that, that's true, except for the biggest issue I believe that you have at the quarterback position is that he's not accurate. And I think the biggest issue as the Buffalo Bills, as far as what weapons you needed to complement what you already had with John Brown and Cole Beasley, was a big target guy to help him out in the red zone, help him out in 50-50 balls, who has a wide catch radius. That Josh Allen doesn't have to be the most accurate guy in the world to be able to hit. And that's where the issue for me lies. That's where I think we run into an issue of why I'm not a huge fan of this. And I did make a couple of side notes here. John Brown. He was able to finish as the 17th wide receiver in half-point PPR leagues, and Stephon Diggs on the Minnesota Vikings, which I would think would be a better situation, was only 22nd. Now, we know the Vikings had a much different plan than they did a season ago, and weren't, weren't throwing the football like they did one year ago when they brought in Kubiak and Stefanski. It was it was all about Dalvin Cook. Uh, a lot of inconsistencies out of Kirk Cousins, more so than I think I've ever seen out of him, as far as being a quarterback and, and throwing the football and getting his guys in, in rhythm consistently. So, all of those things I have to kind of kind of factor in here too Um, but I look when we're talking about Stephon Diggs he was always a guy that had the possibility to give you wide receiver one potential and that's why you kind of drafted him but when I look at this when I look at Josh Allen and I am not a fan of him as a quarterback as a actual passer at all Uh, He was still only, he barely got to 60% completion percentage last year, and that was by far the best, most accurate year between college and pros I had ever seen out of him, and he still was on the way low on the totem pole as far as quarterback completion percentage goes. We're still talking about a guy who has a long way to go as a passer here. So with Stephon Diggs, I think you're talking about a guy who has to be a lower-end wide receiver, too, and therefore he needs to be drafted as such. So while he's usually been a guy who you can get in the, third, possibly fourth round, stuff like that. You're talking about a guy in a situation that I believe you're going to have, his value to me is going to be more like fifth, sixth round. Otherwise, you're overdrafting him way too high. Not to mention, with Josh Allen, we're not talking about a guy who presents having Stefan Diggs be able to have a big ceiling. There is a cap, there is a limit to what he's going to be able to do. We're talking about a guy who barely finished with a 60% completion percentage, and that was the most accurate I think I've ever seen Josh Allen be, whether it would be college or his time so far in the NFL. And he barely got to 60%, which is low on the totem pole as far as completion percentage goes, with these quarterbacks. What I cannot stand when it comes to Josh Allen is that these same people that seem to have this affinity for him, that seem to think that he's going to develop into this great passer and be the next best franchise quarterback in the league, are the same people that seem to tell me that Lamar Jackson still has a long way to go as a passing quarterback. Which makes absolutely no sense. Lamar Jackson just led the league in passing touchdowns, had the biggest improvement from year one to year two out of anybody, frankly. Is a guy that you know has a determination to get even better, and yet he's the one that still has a long way to go in order to become the passer that he needs to be. He led the league in passing touchdowns with a rookie wide receiver being his main target who didn't play for half the season because of an ankle issue. His actual number one pass catcher wound up being Mark Andrews, the tight end, and yet Lamar Jackson's the one that's further away. It's why I just don't understand Josh Allen is not an accurate quarterback at all. He has to see a guy come wide open before he can even throw the ball because he's either just going to gun it in there into double coverage because he has a can and he thinks he's going to fit the ball anywhere and he wants getting picked off, or he's just going to YOLO. We've seen it time and time and time again. And adding Stephon Diggs is a good idea for the Bills because he is a guy who gets a lot of separation because he has his speed and he's an excellent route runner, which will help help get one more wide open looks for sure. But this idea that Josh Allen is on the cusp of taking this big jump, I think is absolutely ridiculous and absolutely not true. So that's why I don't have Stefan Diggs in a situation here. I definitely don't have him living up to his potential, living up to his ceiling, having, having a boost in that regard because he went to the Buffalo bills because he's going to be a number one wide receiver for a team. Finally, when, you know, you had him and Adam Thielen. It was always kind of like a 1A, 1B type of situation a lot of people wanted to look at. But the reason why I don't believe that to be the case, even though he's going to be number one wide receiver in the Buffalo Bills, is because he's in a, a worse quarterback situation. And Josh Allen is not one of those type of guys that I believe that if you throw the ball more, that it will pay dividends for you in the long run. He's not that guy. He's a guy that you need to have a team that is able to be a run-first team. Hide him. Let him play play-action. Let him play based off of that. Let him use his legs to try to throw on the run. That's the type of quarterback Josh Allen is. That's the type of guy he needs to be. If you're going to open this thing up, which is what they're going to do, because you paid Cole Beasley a pretty penny, you paid John Brown a pretty penny, and you gave up all this draft capital now for Stephon Diggs. So clearly the idea is that Josh Allen is going to open up the offense. That's, where, that's the direction that they are heading. It's not going to be good because you have, you're talking about a quarterback who's not accurate. Who's not accurate. And I didn't see, while his numbers did go up a little bit, I didn't see a market improvement from year one to year two, which doesn't make me believe that I'm going to see this, bu- this huge jump this year and going into year three. I don't have any reason to believe that. Will Stephon Diggs help with that? Sure. Stephon Diggs makes sure that he has a floor. Josh Allen, as far as his fantasy football value is concerned in this situation, yes, this definitely doesn't hurt him. This definitely does help him in some capacity. But I don't think it changes much. I mean, you're talking about a guy who finished, I believe, quarterback eight, quarterback nine, depending on your scoring format leagues. He led the league in rushing touchdowns as far as quarterbacks go. He had nine. He actually, he actually beat Lamar Jackson in that one rushing category. That's something he's going to do. He's a bigger quarterback he's a mobile quarterback. So in the re- if they're, you know, goal-line situations, quarterback sneaks are always on the table. Him just running in the red zone in general always on the table. So him being a guy who's going to be a quarterback who's going to get you between 6 and 9 rushing touchdowns is is going to be on the table every single year. So therefore he's going to have a fantasy floor that just automatically comes with this type of skill set that he has. But the idea that Stephon, Stephon Diggs being added to this situation is going to put him in an upper echelon, put him in the argument for a top five quarterback. I don't see that. And then on the flip side with Stephon Diggs, he's not going with, he's not more accurate than Kirk Cousins is. He's not better for Stephon Diggs than Kirk Cousins is as a thrower, as a passer. So I don't see why it's going to change. Look, Stephon Diggs, you're looking at a guy who's going to be a low end wide receiver too at best. And I don't know if he's going to be able to give you anything more than that when his potential ceiling should be an argu- arguably a lower-end wide receiver one because of what he brings to the table. But this is not a situation that gives him a boost. And Josh, I like I said, I don't think it moves the needle that much because there's a lot of quarterbacks in different situations this year that have more reason to be higher on because of their skill set and what they have around them. So. Is Josh Allen going to be a top 10 quarterback? Yeah, absolutely, for fantasy football purposes. Is he somebody that really right now, because of the risk that there is, may in a lot of leagues be somebody you could take in the ninth, 10th, maybe double-digit rounds, and you can get a top 10 quarterback for? Yeah, he should be that guy for you as well. Meaning he's going to have decent value where you draft him at because he's going to be top 10 in his position. You're going to be able to get him possibly, I would think, in a double-digit rounds. Maybe after this trade, people are boosting him up to the 8th round, in which case I wouldn't take him because there's other quarterbacks that are going to be after him that I think are going to possess just as much value and have maybe even a higher ceiling at that point because I think there's a lot of quarterbacks who offer that or just are better values at their draft positions. But if this is a guy who's going to want him in the 10th round, 11th round, he's going to be top 10 in his position just because of his rushing stats, yeah, you take him there. I just don't like this for Stefan Diggs from, from a fantasy football perspective. And I he's going to be one of my leading bus candidates as far as the wide receiver position goes uh, this season. But we want to kind of pick up the pace here a little bit. That kind of wraps up our, our big names that we had to talk about uh, in, this, in this podcast here for you guys. The one thing, though, I want to get into now is some of the lesser... Some of the lesser names that don't have as big of an impact, but it's definitely something you have to take in consideration going into the next season. And we want to lead that off with talking about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. And in Teddy Teddy Bridgewater's situation here... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office
0: he's i mean number 1 right you can't get much worse than Kyle Allen you can't get much worse than uh Will Greer who they had starting at the end of the season there for a couple of games Teddy Bridgewater's that guy Teddy Bridgewater is going to be solid he's going to be efficient uh and he knows the offense right i mean that's one of the biggest things that people kept talking about that's why you know they they made the argument for the Chicago Bears trading for Nick Foles that because with everything going on right now it's hard to know exactly when people are going to be available, exactly when they're going to be able to get in the facilities and start to practice with these guys. So instead of maybe going for the most talented option, some people are going with familiarity. And the idea behind that is they just don't have as big of a learning curve. And I think that's why Teddy Bridgewater was so appealing for Joe Brady in the situation. But in Teddy Bridgewater's case, unlike with Nick Foles pairing up with Mitchell Trubisky for no reason, I do think this is a guy that deserved another shot to be a starting quarterback, showed some promise in Minnesota before he had that terrible injury, and has worked his way back. I do believe this is a starting NFL caliber-type quarterback that we're talking about here. And if you keep that in mind when it comes to Teddy Bridgewater uh dj moore i don't think this moves the needle too much for him uh maybe he's got more consistency from week one to week two maybe this offers him a situation where maybe he has a little bit more of a ceiling at the end of the year than he normally would have uh if it had been cam newton had been kyle allen because i do think as a passer i think teddy bridgewater is better than cam newton as a passer he's definitely a better quarterback in that sense i don't know if he's a better playmaker. But as of right now, he might be, because who the hell knows what Cam Newton even has left in the tank at this point? And that's kind of the big issue that he's going through right now is nobody knows. Nobody can can check out to see where he's at in his his rehab and his development from getting healthy again. So when you're looking at this, it's not Teddy Bridgewater that you're looking at from a fantasy perspective here. You're looking at DJ Moore. What does he do for him? What does he do for Curtis Samuel? What does he do for Christian McCaffrey? Uh, my quick sentiment is it doesn't move the needle a lot. It definitely gives him a better floor because he's definitely a better quarterback and also gives him a little bit of a higher ceiling. But this isn't a move where all of a sudden DJ Moore makes that leap from middle tier wide receiver two to talking about low end wide receiver one category. And, and the same thing can be said uh, for Curtis Samuel. We're not talking about a guy who's a flex all of a sudden becoming a low end wide receiver two because of this move in particular. Uh, So that's kind of what we're looking at here with Teddy Bridgewater. It's a good move. I liked it for the Panthers. It made a lot of sense in a lot of different ways, but uh, it's not moving the needle a ton. It just ensures that more will be valuable. This offense is still going to run through Christian McCaffrey. He's still going to be involved in every aspect of it. He's still going to be the RB one of the year. And Curtis Samuel, maybe with Curtis Samuel, it might help the most because maybe with a better quarterback, he'll have a more consistent floor than what he did because he was widely inconsistent last season. So maybe it'll help him in that standpoint, uh, there. One more play I want to talk about before we have another quick break, and then we'll kind of run through the last part of this podcast. I want to talk about Philip Rivers going to the Colts. And schematically-wise, this makes sense. Frank Reich, he's a, he's a dink-a-dunk type of quarterback, uh, dink-a-dunk type of system, excuse me, and that's kind of what Frank Reich really wants to run. He wants to run his offense 15 yards and in. I just don't know how this changes from Jacoby Brissett in any capacity. First of all, Jacoby Brissett was actually about statistically the same as Philip Rivers, better is definitely in the interception category. And I also don't understand what the hell Jacoby Brissett was supposed to be able to do last season. I mean, you're, everyone came in kind of hating him. Like, you have to improve over Jacoby Brissett and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the guy's number one wide receiver for a lot of the year was Zach Pascal. Zach Pascal was his number one guy most of the season. Are, 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 are you kidding? I don't, under, I don't understand why... I don't understand why this is so all on Jacoby Percet's shoulders. I mean, T.Y. Hilton was out for more than half the year. Uh, Jack Doyle was hurt. Eric Ebron was hurt. Even Chester Rogers got hurt from time to time. Zach Pascal was his only receiver he was able to lean on, and he still had a pretty decent season. The Colts are still in position to make the playoffs, and yet somehow he's the one who has to be moved on from. It doesn't make any sense. None. So when you look at it from that perspective, I I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't know why he had to move on, and from a fantasy football perspective, this doesn't help T.Y. Hilton. This doesn't help, you know, Paris Campbell when he comes back. If anything, it hurts, especially Paris Campbell, but it hurts T.Y. Hilton. Phillip Rivers proved to you last year he has no arm left. He doesn't. You watched him throw a deep ball last year. The biggest reason why Mike Williams didn't have the big jump that we were a lot of us were expecting him to have was because all of a sudden Phillip Rivers couldn't throw the ball deep anymore. It almost looked like he was playing a game of jackpot when he would actually try to hit Mike Williams down the field where he just kind of closed his eyes, throw the ball up in the area, and hope his receiver came down with it because he couldn't actually pinpoint it when throwing the ball 30, 40-plus yards. And T.Y. Hill, in the ball, a lot of his game, while he's a very good wide receiver, a lot of his game is built on getting those big plays and those big throws down the field. Phillip Rivers can't do that, and he's definitely not as good as Kobe Brissett in that area. So I don't, I don't know about it. Unless you're just going to change the offense to be 15 yards and in, I don't know about this move. And even if they do that from a fantasy football perspective, I think T.Y. Hilton's ceiling comes down a little bit. I think as far as Phil Rivers' value go, he's not somebody you're going to be drafting. Could he possibly, because of the way this offense is built, maybe have some streaming opportunities as a high-four-type quarterback during the season? Yeah, I think there's going to be a couple of weeks where that's going to wind up being the case. But it's not... It doesn't move the needle that much for me, and I also think it's a mistake. I think Jacoby Brissett is actually better at this point in his career than Phillip Rivers. So I don't think this helps anybody as far as the fantasy value goes for the Colts or uh, for Rivers himself. I do want to talk about one of our new sponsors that we have here in Fanatics. They are the number one sports retail memorabilia store in the world. You can get all of your favorite sports memorabilia through them if you just go to our social media feed on twitter at mds show or go to our facebook page at md show and look for our posts we have up there we have uh we'll be able to click on it it'll take you to fanatics and it'll take you right to where they have the best deals available okay so we want to wrap up this show going a little bit long as I kind of expected our first show to go. A, there's a lot to talk about. And B, I'm very excited to be back. So yeah, we went a little bit long on this one. Still got a few guys that we want to talk about before we wrap up today, starting with Austin Hooper. He was probably the last big name. I felt like was a big-time fantasy value. One of the first free agents to sign in this situation. And in Austin Hooper's case, uh, I like the move for Cleveland. Look, Kevin Stefanski, it's clear with the moves that he has made now, Uh, throughout the offseason, that he's in a situation that he is looking to do something similar to what he did with Minnesota. Now, Kevin Stefanski was not a Gary Kubiak guy, but I think after watching how they had success on that offense, I think he's going to try to run something similar to what he did last year in Minnesota, what he wound up doing last year in Minnesota, and kind of trying to replicate that. And they ran a lot of two tight end sets. So the fact that Austin Hooper comes in here... Doesn't kill the David Joku. Now, I don't think David Njoku is somebody you are going to be drafting anyway. Last season was going to be the year that we expect him to take a jump, and he was—he was not healthy. He was—he was hurt, and it wound up being a big issue, uh, a lot of the time for him. So, I—I I don't think this was a situation where David Njoku was going to be on the fantasy radar anyway. As far as Austin Hooper goes, I think you're talking about a guy that's going to be a, you know, tight end five, tight end six, tight end seven, somewhere in that range. Uh, as far as fantasy football tight ends go. Yep, he's going to be a red zone target, but we still have to contend with the fact that OBJ, Jarvis Landry, are going to be the guys that are going to be featured in the passing game more so. Uh, Kareem Hunt's actually going to play a full 16-game season. If he keeps his passing down role, he's going to be a big factor in that as well. And if Stefanski is going to replicate what he did a season ago, this is going to be a run-first team, or at least a very 50-50 split type of team. So from a fantasy standpoint, you know Austin Hooper was you know number one tight end for a long stretch before he got hurt. I do not believe for one second that that's going to wind up being the case again uh, for him this season. So kind of keep that in mind there. Uh, he's definitely somebody who's going to be draft worthy, but unless you're getting him, I want to say you know somewhere between the tenth and twelfth rounds in your redraft leagues this season, he's not somebody who I'm or turn over heels for. And from a dynasty perspective. I would look to trade him because I don't know if he's going to have more value than what he has right now. And if you can get a decent draft pick for him or an up-and-coming tight end, I would make that move if I was in Dynasty. I would look to trade him away because I think his, his value is as high as it's ever going to be. Because once we start the season next year, I don't expect this huge statistical output out of Austin Hooper. Now, he'll still be a factor in the red zone because that's what this offense is going to be built to do. But he's not going to be the guy who's going to be featured in the offense the way he was in Atlanta because you know they were having some troubles there uh, with Calvin Ridley, it seemed like, early on in the season. And and Falcons, the other thing you have, to, you have to take into consideration with them and why he was so heavily involved was a lot of the volume. Their defense was so terrible, they were in a lot of shootouts all the time. Browns made some good moves on defense. I don't think they're going to be in nearly as many shootouts as the Atlanta Falcons were, and some of the volume is going to take down from that. Plus, this is going to be a team, like I said, is going to be at least 50-50 in the running game. So they're not going to be going up and down the field quite as quickly. They're going to look to control the ball a little bit more than the Atlanta Falcons did. So as a result of that, uh, I don't really see Austin Hooper having the same type of season that he had. Uh, moving right along here, we want to talk about Jordan Howard real quick, signing with the Miami Dolphins. Again, Jordan Howard is somebody who is at least going to, in my opinion, have a, a stretch where he is an RB, a low-end RB2. He's going to be a flex play. He's going to be the guy as it stands right now until they add somebody else. And I do believe that they will. But right now, it looks like he's going to be the guy on first and second down. He's going to be the guy on goal line situations. I think that's what we're going to see out of Jordan Howard uh, heading into Miami to kind of look forward to. And I do, like I said, I do expect them to add somebody. Maybe they stick with Miles Gas. I do expect them to add somebody for third downs for the passing game and whatnot. So in half point, full point PPR leagues, his his value is going to be very dependent on. How many touchdowns do you think he's going to get the opportunity to run? That's going to be the biggest thing for him there. But I think overall, we're looking at a guy who's going to be a starting running back. He's going to get a good amount of work. Uh, no matter what their quarterback situation winds up being, they draft to a stick with Fitzpatrick, whatever the case may be. I have to think they're going to want to be able to run the football at least more than what they did a season ago uh, because they just were incapable of doing so because their backfield was a joke. Uh, so you're going to see that. He's always been a pretty good guy. He's gonna be a one, he's gonna be one of my sleeper guys because he's gonna be one of those guys that a lot of people are gonna kind of overlook because he's not gonna be necessarily involved in the passing game and he's also gonna be one of those guys that are under a lot of people's radar and is always kind of sneakily uh, productive and he is somebody who I think you're going you're gonna get in those later rounds he's gonna be a valuable flex piece so Jordan Howard is somebody we are gonna be paying attention to on this show from a fantasy perspective especially now he's in a situation where. He doesn't necessarily have, we'll, we'll see what happens in the draft, but he doesn't necessarily have a top rookie waiting in the wins in, in Miami, and I don't know they're going to go that way in the draft either, a draft or running back that high, so I don't think him getting taken over, it's going to be a matter of him staying healthy. I don't think him being taken over by a rookie is necessarily going to be as much on the table as it was, say, come uh, Philadelphia. The other move that we really should talk about here is Hayden Hurst uh, being traded to the Atlanta Falcons, and he's going to be the Austin Hooper replacement. And I kind of look at Hayden Hurst in a situation of, look what Austin Hooper was able to do. I don't think Hayden Hurst's skill set is that much different than Austin Hooper when you really break it down. Uh, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He was drafted in the first round, don't forget, because he could be an all-around type tight end. Now, I don't know if he's quite as fast as Austin Hooper is, but he could still be a red zone threat, especially in that offense. He's going to be on the field 24-7 because he can do a little bit of everything. And now that they have Todd Gurley, they're going to have a big play-action capability there with with Matt Ryan and be able to utilize that. And a lot of that's going to open up Hayden Hurst over the middle of the field, quite frankly. So I do think we're going to see a situation where – uh, Hayden Hurst is going to be a guy who's going to compete for a low-end tight end one situation. I think he's going to be maybe one of my top sleeper tight ends heading into next season because he's going to be lead guy in that offense. Matt Ryan has made a habit. This is why Austin Hooper's had value for as long as he has. Has made a habit of throwing touchdowns to tight ends in that offense. I expect that to continue. So Hurst is going to be a top sleeper tight end that we're going to be able to uh, look at here. Uh, As far as everyone else goes, the last thing, you know, Randall Cobb signing with the Texans. Who cares? Jerick McKinnon restructures his deal. Matt Breida is tendered. 49ers backfield, it just is always going to be maddening. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, you know he has a great running system, but the problem is always going to be while there's production to be had, there's value to be had as far as that running system goes. You never know what running back it's going to be. Uh, you know, the only person they let go of was Tevin Coleman. Raheem Mostert's going to be back. The assumption is that Raheem Mostert would be the main guy. But we know that even being the main guy in the San Francisco system means only being guaranteed maybe 12 touches total and then everybody else kind of being sprinkled in as a result. And we still haven't seen this team with a healthy Jared McKinnon. I don't know that we ever will. Uh, I don't really know understand why they brought him back after two back-to-back knee surgeries. What's the point? At that point, you're talking about a guy who depended upon his speed and to be be his value, and I don't know how that's going to be there after two ACL surgeries. Uh, we do know Matt Breeze is able to fill that role there, and they did bring him back. Uh, it's always going to be a mess. Raheem Moser's going to be the guy, but he's going to be a tricky one to value and project, and he's going to be a guy who I think is going to be commonly... Uh, overvalued because everyone's going to look at that 49er system. And it's like, well, if you are the guy in the 49er system, in the Shanahan system, you're going to have a lot of value. I'm like, yeah, he's going to have weeks where he's going to blow up. He's going to have weeks where he's an RB1. But he, at the end of the day, I don't think he can be anything more than a flex because he's going to be widely inconsistent, and Kyle Shanahan likes to go with the hot hand. Plus, Raheem Oster is another guy. I think there has to be a big question mark as far as what his – availability is going to be able to go. And we haven't seen this guy make it through a full 16-game season as the guy with that kind of workload, having more of the workload. We haven't seen that yet. And also, I do not rule out the idea... That we may honestly see the 49ers add another running back, whether it be through the draft or another free agency signing. We know Kyle Shanahan hands not averse to having five running backs, and Jeff Wilson's still on the team. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that wound up happening as well. So there's kind of things to kind of keep in mind when it comes to uh, the San Francisco 49ers and their running back field. Raheem is going to be that guy, but we just have to make sure we don't overvalue him, and we'll get a better idea as we move closer to the season. And like I said, with Randall Cobb, who cares? That is going to close down the podcast. I'm so happy to be back. This was great. I had so much fun. Uh we're going to be back again next week, next Friday. We're going to be talking about quarterbacks and tight ends for the NFL draft. We're going to talk about a, a number of guys that you have either heard stuff from or have heard um you know, have, like I said, you've heard stuff from or are in a situation that they're going to be highly drafted or, you know, or guys that uh, I frankly, I like that maybe are lower on the totem pole that I've watched tape on and think could sneakily find their ways to having some value, whether it be from a dynasty or a redraft standpoint. So we're going to go all over all types of guys. Mostly going to be sticking with guys, like I said, like we did last year, we had a criteria. Of, it has to be somebody you're going to hear about consistently, uh, consensus that they're going to be drafted, or somebody who I just think has some sleeper value that no one really is uh, talking about. So we're going to be doing that next week, and then the week after that will be the running backs. The week after that will be the wide receivers, and then by then it'll be the NFL draft, and then we'll talk about that and where what their value is after we finally figure out where these guys land because a lot of their value is going to be dependent upon where they land, as it always is with these rookie guys. But that's going to be our next three weeks, uh, even though that's what these shows will be based off of. As there's free agent moves that are made, as there are trades that are made, we will take the first part of the show to go over those moves each week, what their fantasy impacts are, and then we'll talk about the rookies after that. So that's don't worry just because we're going to be talking about more about the NFL draft next upcoming weeks. It doesn't mean we're going to suddenly just not talk about any more free agent or trades that possibly get made over the next few weeks in that time too, Uh, especially considering there's a lot of big time names out there that are going to be fantasy impacts uh, once they figure out and sign. I'm looking at you, Melvin Gordon. So we got to see that. So we'll see you guys all real, real soon and everybody have a great weekend.
1: Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show.